In Southeast Agnet Sag and Review for the week ending April 17th, up until this week, the outbreaks of highly pathogenic avian influenza in commercial poultry flocks were limited to turkeys. But that changed when it was announced a commercial chicken operation in Minnesota had confirmed the disease. Also this week, USDA scientists and veterinarians from across the country participated in an avian influenza symposium at the University of Georgia in Athens. Dr. David Swain is with USDA's Ag Research Service Southeast Poultry Research Lab. In general, we can say that uh, mallard ducks are most susceptible to this virus. It takes a very low dose of virus to produce infections in mallard ducks. And these mallard ducks are not sick and they, are, they do not die, but they do produce the virus in their body and it's shed from both the mouth and from the cloaca. Second would be Japanese quail and susceptibility followed by turkeys and chickens. Uh, the other piece of work that we have ongoing is one of our uh, main functions is to make sure we have emergency response tools that are available and we are working on a new vaccine seed strain that will undergo testing within the next month. Uh, and so we're just the science side to produce that strain. And potential use for vaccine will be decided by APHIS agency. And Dr. T.J. Myers, Associate Deputy Administrator of Veterinary Services with USDA's Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service, says the response to the current cases of avian influenza have been rapid. Whenever a state identifies a presumptive positive flock, uh, the flock is immediately quarantined by the state, and a control zone is established around that facility. Once we confirm the infection, Uh, The flock is called as quickly as we are able to mobilize the state and federal resources to do that. So far to date, we've needed to call over 2 million birds, and we do uh, pay indemnity uh, to producers. And we also, uh, after the flock has been populated, uh, clean and disinfect the facility. Surveillance has increased around that control zone. Nothing moves in or out of that control zone except by permit and surveillance in that control zone continues until uh, no further disease is detected. Another key activity that goes along with the response is our epidemiology investigations. Uh, And what we're trying to do there is to identify risk factors for how disease may have entered a facility. And while we're still collecting data on that, indications are at this point is that what we're seeing are multiple point source introductions And this is very similar to the experience that Canada had back in December and that Germany has experienced with these viruses within the last year. So the real focus is trying to identify what are those indirect introductions that is bringing the virus from the environment into those facilities. So that that work is ongoing. In other news, it was a big week in our nation's capital as various issues affecting agriculture saw movement. On Wednesday, the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee voted 36 to 22 to pass the Regulatory Integrity Protection Act of 2015, which requires the EPA and Army Corps to withdraw its proposed waters of the U.S. rule within 30 days. On Thursday, by a vote of 240 to 179, the House passed the Debt Tax Repeal Act of 2015, and many ag groups are now urging the Senate to act soon and vote for full repeal of the debt tax. Trade Promotion Authority legislation was also introduced in the Senate Finance Committee on Thursday after taking testimony from cabinet-level officials like Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack. I've been across the table with some of my colleagues, ag ministers from states that we're currently negotiating. They are not interested in putting their final or best offer on the table until they're assured that whatever trade agreement Ambassador Froman is able to negotiate is ultimately provide an up or down vote and not subject to modification or amendment. 
Livestock groups, including the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, National Chicken Council, American Feed Industry Association, National Pork Producers Council, National Milk Producers Federation, and U.S. Dairy Export Council, all are urging swift passage of TPA. Senate Finance Committee Chair Orrin Hatt said they expect to mark the bill up sometime this coming Thursday and hopes for Senate passage by the end of the month. But Ranking Member Ron Wyden anticipates it'll debate for a few weeks before it's considered by the full Congress. But a House bill is also expected to be introduced sometime soon. In other news, Tyron Spearman had a story this week looking at the latest figures to see where things stand with peanut growers meeting the demand for their product. Well, USDA is reporting that last year's peanut crop did average about 3,932 pounds per acre. That would give a total amount of 2 million 603,515 tons. That's the tonnage that has been inspected by the Federal State Inspection Service. Now we will end up with an ending stock of 922,000 tons extra for the coming year. USDA's Ag Research Service says that the U.S. intends to plant 9% more this year, or 1.48 million acres. Most agree that the big increase will come in Georgia, about a 20% increase in peanut acreage, where farmers are shifting out of growing cotton. Peanut acreage in South Carolina, they said, would also be a record high. On U.S. demand, USDA is still predicting about a food use prediction of 3.2% increase on peanuts, but right now USDA reports a 7.5%, mainly because of a big increase in peanut butter over the first seven months. The other market is exports for peanuts. Exports estimated to be up 4% for the year. However, exports are now running at 9.7%. The big question now is how will the competition in the foreign market come with Argentina? Argentina is reporting an excellent crop. They will be up against the U.S. in the export markets, and they are reporting this week that they are selling their crop for $1,250 per shell metric ton. The U.S. is at $1,350. I'm Tyron Spearman for Southeast Agnet. And we wrap up this week's podcast with Ever Griner talking about how farmer-to-consumer operations are still growing. I try to keep up with the sale of farm foods through direct marketing channels, but it's not easy. No, 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 it's impossible. We've all seen the rapid growth of what's known as farmer's market, over 100,000 in the last five years. But that's just one effort. For the total picture, you look at farm stores. Fresh produce stands pick your own operations at a variety of farmer-to-consumer operations. They sell directly to restaurants, schools, and small stores. Now, one source says it now totals almost 2% of agricultural production in the U.S. You want that in dollars? All right, estimated, not factual, but an educated guess, $5 billion worth. Is there any particular area where these sales dominate? No, they're in every state. There's one close to you even though you may not know it. Now, the best part is, they're just beginning. And that's Ag Review for today. Everett Griner, Southeast Agnet. You can hear those reports and more from this past week on our website, southeastagnet.com. Randall Wiseman, Southeast Agnet.